Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today, I'm joined by Unmish Sarafi, who is the founder of Picture Board Partners and someone who is no stranger to travel. I've had the pleasure of speaking to him offline before today's show, and he's an exceptionally talented and rather splendid individual. You'll come on to understand why. Unmish was born in Delhi and in 2008, after a decade living in London, New York and Johannesburg, no less, Unmish moved to Singapore, one of my favourite countries of the world, where he grows relevance, reach and revenue in gaming, education, media and sports sectors. I know Unmish is also a very dedicated cricket fan. We might talk about that a little bit, Unmish, in a moment. Um, So that's another reason why I'm particularly excited to have Unmish as a guest today. Uh, And not, not least because I think there's an awful lot I... And all the Gen Xers out there get to learn about the new world in which we live. And I don't think there's any better guest to, to help us in that process than, than Unmish. So all I can say, Unmish, because we're going to go in lots of different directions today, welcome with, with, uh, with great sincerity to the Sandro Forte podcast. Sandro, thank you very much for the invite. I'm, I'm humbled by your introduction. Uh, you are very good for my confidence. Uh, a happy new year to, be, to you, and it's great to be here. Happy New Year, rather belatedly to you as well. Um, so let's, uh, let's start with, with Unmish, Pata Sarafi. And uh, I've been practicing your surname. I've had sleepless nights. <laughs> but when, when you've got a name like Alessandro Forte, you can imagine, Unmish, that I get called all kinds of different things, as I'm sure you do. But the good news is I have a great many friends in India who are all called Unmish. So that bit was easy. It was, the, it was the next bit that I was struggling with. So hopefully I've done your family name justice. Um, but for those people who don't know you uh, and your background, let, let's start by understanding who you are and kind of how you ended up in the rather beautiful uh, place that is Singapore. And for those who are listening have never been, you really must, during your lifetime, take the opportunity to visit Singapore. It's a splendid place. Uh, and we'll talk about cricket and lots of other things in due course. But first of all, uh, the, the man himself, the guy we're talking to today, give us a little bit of your background. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, born and raised in Delhi. Uh, went to school, high school and university in Delhi, played tons of cricket, as we'll go on to hopefully chat about. Not, not really well, but very enthusiastic, should we say. Um, and then um, cricket led me to actually aspire to an education in the UK. My principal reason of applying to Oxbridge was to play cricket. It was either Parks or Fenners, and that's what drove me, drove me for 18 months in my final year at university in Delhi to get a decent grade, to be able to get in there. Honestly, that is the honest truth. Um, and then when, after, after Cambridge, I, uh, I, I worked in London uh, and lived there for 10 years. Uh, I met the lady who is uh, very fortunately, very graciously agreed to be my wife. Uh, and I moved to Singapore uh, in 2008. Uh, my, my background is very much in the sort of sport and media sector. Um, the one thing, I guess, which is odd, different, um, unique, uh, depending on your perspective about me, is that I've sort of worked across content production, radio, print, television, uh, into product development as well as strategy and then eventually sales and PNL management and 
managing large teams and flying around the region, um, living on a plane, which is fun initially, but then it wears you out. Um, but yeah, that's that's a bit about me. Uh, a lifelong cricket tragic, I must add, uh, and <laughs> someone who, I, I, but I do find, I do find I'm extremely grateful for the life I've had. Uh, it's, it's given me a chance to see the world on and off the pitch, meet interesting people, um, and really sort of, you know, followed my passion into a profession. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good so far. Before we talk about picture boards, can I just pick up on something you've said? Because that's really interesting and a perspective for lots of people out there at the moment. You know, we get lots of emails, Unmish, from people who say, you know, I had a dream, I had a passion, really wanted to do whatever it was and never quite made it. And I think a lot of people really struggle with that. What I'm interested to, to explore with you, if that's okay, is, you know, you had this desire, this passion to, to play cricket. You know, all of your education was based on your desire to play cricket. But let's be honest, you're not, you know, you're not current member of the Indian cricket team, for example. Um, so, you know, your path led you in a slightly different direction. I know there are lots of uh, close connections with cricket even now, but it, but it didn't become a profession is what I'm saying. So how, how do you deal with the transition to something other than the place you want to go in life? Because, of course, so many of us find ourselves with, with a desire, with a, with a goal, and, and we don't achieve it. Um, I, I guess what I'm looking for is that message, because I, I know a lot about you, is the fact that although you didn't achieve your principal goal, you've, you've kind of woven your love of, of cricket in particular into your life. So you've still made a success of that original goal, if I'm kind of putting that in the right way to you. I don't want to lead you with the question, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I think, look, I think that it's a combination of three things. I think it's a combination of um, having an open mind, because a lot of times success to certain people, especially growing up, um, is a very linear line from A to Z. Uh, and it's often a definition which is not yours. Um, and so, so I think one is about being, being open, uh, open to definitions of success and avenues to get to that definition. That's, that's the first point. I think the second point is this serendipity. You know, if you, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen this, but if you're looking to buy a car and you know what car you wanna buy, you'd be surprised how often you'll see that car on the road. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's the, the second piece about what am I looking for? What's the stepping stone? And third is just luck and serendipity. Uh, you know, you look back now, I look back now on certain decisions which were made for me, uh, which were monumental decisions, which I had not even an inkling of. Uh, you know, from my father giving me an idea of taking a year out of undergrad in Delhi to play full time to, you know, bumping into through a totally unprecedented sequence of events into my first boss, Peter Hutton, who's now at Facebook as the head of sport, phenomenal first boss to have, to meeting someone in, a, in at the Wanderers in Joburg, which then led to my moving from London to Singapore. So all I would say is, you know, don't think it's a linear line. Um, you know, stay open of how you might get there. Um, and, and, and things will happen. Um, but, 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 you know, it's, it's never a straight line. In hindsight, it looks like a straight line. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, it doesn't look like a straight line. By, by <laughs> golly, it's, it's worse. You know, you're, you're in Birmingham. It, it, it's worse than Spaghetti Junction, put it that way. Yeah. Good answer. Good answer. And the one I was expecting from you, but it, that will be helpful to, to many people listening from around the world. So just, um, I, I, I normally wouldn't talk about what, what you're doing as a day job, let's put it like that, uh, <laughs> until later in the podcast. But for reasons we'll come on to discuss in a moment, because there's a couple of other things I want to explore with you. 
Let, let's talk, start talking about um, picture board partners, just, just yeah. to give people a sense of what you're doing now, I guess, to link in with what we've just been speaking about. Sure. Look, so picture board partners is really, uh, it's, it's my own, it's, it's, it's my company. It is what in the US about 10 years ago got, got, got called a growth practice. A growth practice, different from a consulting practice, different from an advisory practice, is primarily because it brings together different kinds of competencies. And the thesis of having a growth practice is that you need growth when things are disrupted. In steady times, sales, marketing, product, technology, finance, all have their own individual and discrete contributions to success. During a disruptive time, it's like tossing a salad. And therefore, you need a variety of skill sets all happening at the same time on an on-demand basis, right? So I'm a part sales agency, and we help companies come in, grow, grow, and grow sales. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a part strategy firm and an innovation firm, which is trying to actually sort of say, you know, the why and the what. And I'm also increasingly doing more work around policy and venture development, which is early stage businesses trying to find their place in the sun. And fundamentally, the way I look at it is the growth practice brings two different bouquets or buckets of services. There's the hard stuff, product, marketing, strategy, innovation, sales. Then there's the soft stuff, cultural radar, team building, um, uh, you know, understanding how relationships are built in different societies, across different societies, working in a non-anglophonic linguistic environment where people are not thinking in English, but speaking to in English. So you put those two things together and how disruption has been caused by digital, we try and help make sense of, as I said, relevance. What do you want? What do you do? Reach, therefore you have an audience or a customer and then revenue. So growth practice is part sales agency, part strategy consulting firm and part a venture development studio. How, how does Unmish deal with the, the challenges, the natural challenges that get thrown at you, that, you know, the curveballs that you have to deal with especially when you're running your own business, as I am as well, um, on, a, on seemingly a daily basis. How, how, do you, how do you stay in touch with yourself and, and all that's important to you? you know, you've mentioned your family several times already um, and, and you know, balance and, and staying relevant and, and, and being accessible for your clients. How do you deal with the, the tough moments in your life? Okay, multiple questions. Let me break it down. Um... Uh, let me say let me say two or three things, and you can hold me to it because I'll, I'll try and be as short as I can. Um, I think having played sport competitively, uh, you know that when you train and when you go the extra mile in the off season, it's going to help you in the season. Um, and you know, getting forty yard when you're sixty for four is far more useful than, than getting a hundred on a flat back. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think you're used to. I think you are habituated to understand when there's pain, there's opportunity, and there's a chance to shine and make a mark. Um, so that, that's one context. Second context, a lot of my friends on, on, on WhatsApp mentioned to me, I've got this strap line saying, growth and comfort don't coexist. Uh, and that's the reality. You know, I, I, even, even, even uh, I think Katie Gustafsky talks about this in, in one of your, you know, your, your, your podcasts, the discomfort is where it's at, were her phrases. Yeah. Beautiful, you know, so that there's, that that's perspective. Uh, and then I think, and then the last thing really is you adapt. Um, you adapt in different ways. Um, but I don't know if that answers part of your questions or none of it. Well, I'm very impressed that you listened to the Sandra Forty podcast, Mish. I'm going <laughs> to give you, I'm going to give you a gold star just, just by, uh, 
just by referring she's amazing. to, to previous lovely. guests. She is lovely. Yeah, she's yeah. really lovely. Um, a really super lady with, you know, um, we far too much content for half an hour, but she was terrific. Um, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, your experiences and travel, and I, and I don't want to let you go today without talking about travel and culture. Um, I, I personally feel that travel has been my greatest educator because I have learned so much about community, culture, food, climate, you know, everybody's religion, uh, money, all, all kinds of different perspectives of life from the various communities that I've had the pleasure of spending time in. Can we just talk a little bit about your own experiences of, you know, uh, your own cultural experiences through travel? And I'm not suggesting we use this as a platform to promote travel because there are lots of environmental issues that come with that. Uh, and as we've already identified, being stuck in one place is, you know, from an environmental perspective, is quite a good thing. But uh, tell us about your own experiences of, of traveling the world, those two weeks on a plane every month, which, uh, you know, I don't envy you. I've done plenty myself. But I'd love to explore with you because, you know, you, you are one of the few guests that we've had that have got that kind of travel CV. So I'd like to talk a little bit yeah. about culture and what you've learned, really, along the way. So um, uh, if, if I may, let me let me let me talk about travel uh, with choice and at leisure or rather than travel for work. Um, so I, I've been lucky to sort of live and, 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 and work in you know, different metros, you know, Delhi and London and New York and Joburg and Singapore. And, and, and the whole idea of living in a place and working there is that you can get away on weekends, uh, which is very different than traveling to those places. Uh, so I remember distinctly taking a train across Joburg to Cape Town, across the Karoo, for the Cape Town Jazz Festival. This was a meter gauge train, which was used for, in the pre-apartheid days, to take the miners into the mines. And they retransferred the whole thing into, and the Cape Town train station back in the day was in the convention hall, right in the heart of town. Uh, and it was, you know, three nights of five stages and just losing yourself to some phenomenal jazz music. But along the way, the whole idea of spending a day and a half on a train, trains are beautiful. You know, they lull you into a kind of coming down for fifth to second gear and you read a book. And I still remember I was reading Peter Orborn's book, his biography of Basil de Oliveira. So, you know, very topical stuff along the way. Um, so that was, that was stunning. And it gave me a sense of, you know, a country, physically, culturally, musically, all that kind of stuff. That, 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 that's one, one enduring memory. Um, five years ago, we were very lucky to sort of go to the North Pole. Uh, and this was bizarre. I was on an assignment in Antigua. And I flew from Antigua to Heathrow, to Reykjavik, to, to, to um, Helsinki, and then eventually Rebenemi. And my wife and daughter flew across London and then Helsinki. And we went to the North Pole which was just magical. Um, and then, and then the, the other side of being in Singapore is that you can get away for a lovely two night, three night stay within a two hour flight to you know, countries with five different languages, but beautiful beaches. Um, mm. And you know, I, I do remember the time we went to a place called Lombok, which is almost like a rustic Bali 20 years ago. Uh, and it was good because it was at the exact opposite of Singapore. And it was our daughter's introduction to, ooh, insects and mozzies and mosquitoes. <laughs> uh, but that also had a very nice, happy family memory. So, okay. so that, there's that, that part of it, as I said, of traveling at leisure for leisure. Um, but traveling on work, uh, if I may, I think there are three things that are very educative traveling on work. One, well, how you hail a taxi driver in a country you don't know and go to where you need to go. This is pre-Google 
or even with Google. I think that's a very interesting conversation. Taxi drivers are born to talk and you know they give you an insight into a city, which is remarkable. The number of times I've had an art to spare, I've gone down to the concierge and said, put me in a cab. This is what I want to spend and take me around town. It's stunning. It's, it's great mm-hmm. fun. Um, the, the second thing I would, I would say is ordering in a restaurant by yourself. Uh, you know, it, it is a very humbling experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it really tells you about the culture uh, because inclusiveness is a two-way thing, uh, you know, and how you sort of do that, which is, which is fascinating. And third is just greeting and leaving a business meeting. Uh, those, are ve- those are seminal moments where you can get things so right and so wrong. Yeah, uh, but you're, but right. if you're actively aware of them. So these three things are something which I always look out for when I go to a new place and work. Because other than that, I haven't got the time to actually enjoy the city in any other way. We've got lots to talk about on another occasion, hopefully in <laughs> Singapore, when, I, when I'm next there. I'm, I'm, again, I can't let you go today, Mish, without talking about teams. I mean, uh, in, in the day job, you've already alluded to the fact you're working with some large companies and, and you referred to the kind of the soft and the, and the hard elements of the work that you do yeah. and, and teams and culture and, and community, to use that word again. And, and let's take this opportunity to link it to the great Indian cricket teams of, of the past. We'll, we'll, we'll use cricket since that's a love of yours. Um, quite apart from asking you who your favourite ever Indian cricketer is, because I'm, I'm stuck between Sachin Tendulkar, MS Dhoni, Sunil Gavaskar, because I'm old enough to remember him, Kapil Dev, Ditto, uh, Virat Kohli's got to be up there as well. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, what, what makes great teams great? Because you know, the Indian cricket teams, particularly the test cricket teams and, and latterly the, the, um, the shorter form of the game uh, sides have, have excelled when, yeah, OK, they've had some, some world stars in their team. But to a man, man for man, they've not necessarily been the best, but they have excelled at what they've done because they always seem to produce teams rather than a group of individuals, which is where other sides go wrong. Linking that to what you do day to day, Unmish, what would you say makes a great team, a successful team? And you can use the Indian Test cricket teams or one day sides of the past if you want to, uh, or, or just your own experience of working with companies. It's a great question. I think, I think there's, there's two things, right? There's two ways of looking at this. Uh, one is in terms of near term success, and then there's the North Star. So I think if you start from there, then that's a very different piece. You know, you you pick a team to go to England. You pick a team to go to Australia. It's a near-term focus, different kind of environment, all that kind of stuff. Or you pick a team, as as England did in Ewan Morgan, that white ball cricket is a priority. Four years later, boom, you win the World Cup, which is a North Star to my mind. So I think that that, that, that perspective on what is success and where does it lie is perhaps an important piece. Because then everything sort of full works backwards from there. So I think that's, that's the first part. Um, I, think, I think people often tend to think of leadership as an hierarchical concept, like a command and control. I'm the general, you're the colonel, you're the sergeant, you're the, you the corporal. I think leadership can exist and coexist in a team at multiple levels and layers. It's often a good thing. You know, dispersed leadership, uh, servant leadership, they're two different things, but often two sides of the same coin. I think it's a good thing in a team, especially. As if you look at cricket, unlike football, it's a bit different. They're very specific, discrete skills in a cricket team. I always tend to draw parallels between cricket teams and corporate life. 
In fact, we were doing a fireside with Sean Pollock uh, for a client in Dubai in November. And he talked about that, about how, you know, a ball is only as good as the catch is being taken. Mm. Uh, you know, a batsman only as well as the non-striker who calls for a quick run when the other ball is bowling very well. Mm. Uh, so, and that same happens in, you know, sales, marketing, product, finance, legal, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff, right? So that's the other way to look at things that there is the, the constituent whole has got a very heterogeneous mix. Uh, so I'd say three things, you know, near-term objective, long-term success, not star as opposed to very task-oriented stuff. Two, leadership can be, you can have multiple clusters of leadership. You know, Nasser Hussain, I think, or Duncan Fletcher talked about having Marcus Tescothic, who was a very young test cricketer at the time, as part of the committee on the tour and how that really helped him, help everybody else, channels of communication, younger boys didn't feel ignored, they feel included, that kind of stuff. So I think there's notions of leadership and then there's notions of heterogeneity and how you toss the salad. And if you have those three things in mind, I think it begins to help you in terms of consciously contextualizing what is this team here to do? And therefore, mm-hmm. is it the right mix? Is it the right dynamic? The right, you know, right tempo and the right mm-hmm. temper? I, I, back to the, to the day job. Sorry for referring to, uh, to it so disrespectfully. It's not intended at all. That's um, okay. Because you are, you know, you are infinitely more talented than me. What more talent in your little finger than I have in, the, in my entire body? Um, but just indulge me for a second. As as a Gen Xer who has left the digital age well behind, it, just connecting to Zoom is is a challenge. Um, but in, in in that ever changing digital age, and you're dealing with it day in day out, Amish. How how do people stay relevant and and kind of not fall behind that curve? Because, I mean, that's a huge challenge. We get tons and tons and tons of emails from people just saying, I, you know, I can't keep pace. I, I, I you know, I, I just don't know how to stay relevant. How, how do you deal with that with, with some of the companies that you work with? Or do you, do you have a philosophical view on it individually? So I, I can, I can, I, I think I, I'd rather address this from a trade enterprise company corporate level as opposed to an individual consumer level, as you said, well, all of that happens within executive ranks as well. Uh, and, and, and Kitty talks about that. So, so um, I think, okay, let's look at the advantages. The advantages of digital is that it has a footprint which you can track, measure, you know, the morals aside, you can measure what you're doing and how you're doing. So there's no hocus pocus you know, uh, smoke and mirrors about how you're doing. It's very clear, it's very measurable, it's transparent in that sense. Um, I, I think, so, which then breeds a degree of honesty uh, and honesty in terms of what your intent is, how it's evolved, it is, all the resources you've got, and therefore, are you doing the best you can? That's one part. I think the second part is, there's, there's a generational change, which is kind of the, a lot of the work that we, we began with, where there were Gen Xs, who were in leadership positions dealing and, and in companies which were dealing with consumers and, and mid-ranking to junior staff who were not Gen Xers. So there's that piece about how do you, you know, sort of, sort of uh, bridge that gap for them. Uh, so that there's that piece to it. And then there's a larger piece around business models, right? So you, you first, there's, there's the whole transparency, measurement, proportionality piece. Then there's more about, you know, you have to sort of, cast your hardwired instinct aside, which has got you to be in a company and be the leader of that company and almost, you know, un, almost recreate yourself, which is hard. And the whole idea here is a lot of times when, when I'm talking to uh, chief execs and leaders, I'm, I say to him or her, 
My job is very simple. My job is to provide you the sixth and seventh day in the week, during the week. You know, to just to think about things which may not be on your radar, to anticipate things which is coming around the corner, simply because you're too busy managing down, managing up, and just looking after yourself. Mm. So that becomes very important. And what I find is, it's just frameworks and alliteration, which always works. So, you know, relevance, reach, and revenue. You know, content, code, and commerce. Uh, you know, we use these three three word alliterated um, phrases, which actually gets people thinking because people are smart, people are bright, people care. If we can give them the tools to do so and give them the safety and the confidence to be able to try it, then it's only a, it's like teaching someone to swim or, or to bike. They don't know, forget it. Mm-hmm. I love how you do everything in threes. Nice and easy to remember. Um, some of the some of the biggest mistakes that you see businesses making then just to follow on to yeah. develop that that part of the conversation what what typically are they and i know that's a that's a very open ended question because there are lots of different businesses out there doing lots of different things but typically those companies in, you know especially that you work with what what are the common mistakes that you see businesses make that maybe you could share today on the podcast to help people avoid making those mistakes I think do nothing is perhaps front and center. Mm. It's very comfortable not do anything and blame the macros, blame COVID, blame people, hire and fire people, as opposed to actually thinking through the DNA and the status quo and oneself within that status quo. I think do nothing is, and you'd be, you'd be surprised the number of people, number of companies, number of organizations, number of countries uh, who, who, who do that. It's a very human instinct uh, to do something and to be responsible for it and to own it is, is in many ways counterintuitive because we know that failures and often and success as many parents. Um, so there, there's that piece to it. And the third part is, I, th- I don't believe the corporate structures that we've got actually they are conducive to dealing with the economies you've got today or the politics we've got today. And that's the, that's the case with it's families, whether it's government structures, whether it's company structures, a lot of them are still industrial in their structure. It's very top down, it's very linear, it's not an amoeba, it's not a honeycomb. Mm. Um, so that, that's, that's kind, of, kind, of, kind of the second point. Um, on the positive side, I, th- there is a curiosity which needs to be stoked uh, amongst senior management, amongst boards, because let's not forget, these are smart people who got to where they've got to because they're good at what they do. Uh, it's just mm. that, after a certain point, energy or you know, being onerous gets hard. So it's more about how do you initiate them to think a particular way, consider a certain position, visualize a different future. Uh, and the way one, the analogy that I bring to that is really that a lot of times when people uh, as a group uh, think about the future, it's the five or the six blind men. It's a famous Indian fable where somebody saw the trunk and called it a, ro- a rope and somebody saw the tail and called it something else. And so the, so the foot and call it a trunk. That's one analogy. The second analogy we always say is when a big tanker comes into port, there are three to four tugboats, which sort of get it to its moorings. So, you know, change takes time and change needs needs a certain uh, sensibility uh, and sensitivity uh, for it to be initiated. Initiating change is the hardest bit. So yeah. I would say, you know, do nothing is a problem. Uh, it's not that people aren't aren't keen to do it. They just feel that the institutional macro elements and personal elements which have challenges. And then it's a question of you're trying to work out how and why and where and when 
can initiate the change and make them owners of it. Because yeah. eventually, you know, I always say, one last thing, I always say, you're the author of a book. I'm the editor in a publishing house. My job is to make your manuscript a bestseller. How many editors' names can you tell me? How many authors' names can you tell me? My job is to be in the background, be the editor, see it out, make a good thing out of it. And that's the playbook. You remain the author of the book uh, in yeah. whatever shape or form it takes, audiobook, you know, whatever the case might be. And on the subject of books, Unmesh, I'm going to give you a tip. Read a book called Shantaram by... Yes. Have you read it? I've read it. it. This, 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 uh, this is the Aussie, Aussie bloke in a Bombay chawl, isn't it? It is. It is. Stunning. I mean, you've, yeah, if, if, for those listening, uh, get yourself a copy of this book. It's called Shantaram. And it exactly as Unmesh has just described, uh, it's a, an Australian journalist, escaped from prison, uh, was, was thrown in jail for armed robbery or something bizarre, and flees to India and creates a life for himself. And it is the most, it's a true story, absolutely stunning. It's a, it's a big book. It's about 976 <laughs> pages. It, it took me about two weeks on vacation, but it is absolutely brilliant. Anyway, we're digressing. Uh, final couple of questions. How do people find out more about this incredibly intellectual, talented, uh, smart, in cricket loving guy from from singapore are you a social media guy have you got a website point us point us in the right direction Ramesh. uh there's 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 there, there's one place to find me which is linkedin uh i really love the platform i work very closely with them now um so linkedin is the best place to find me uh that really is rome so all roads roads going to lead to rome from linkedin uh, on all the other platforms some of them i'm dormant some of them i'm listening uh, so I'm not necessarily responsive. Um, the website right now is actually undergoing a fairly significant revamp. Uh, so quite excited about that. That should be up in the next few weeks, hopefully, probably end of the quarter. But no, LinkedIn is definitely the port of call. Please get in touch. Uh, I am on it probably at least an hour a day. So uh, I'd be pretty quick to come back to you. Well, I, I have your personal contact information, so I can arrange a beer with you at the cricket club in Singapore when I'm, when I'm next over there. Final Look question, that. And, and as you know, the final question is the same for all our guests because you've listened to the to the podcast. Again, gold star for that one. Um, if you were to give a single piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, you know, transcending all of the other pieces of advice, all the things we've talked about today, all those mantras that you live by, the experience that you've gained in business, just to get someone through life, what would be the one rule above all others if there was one rule? I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot and ask you to name one, but if it was one above anything else, what would that one rule be, Mish? You know, Peter Tregler spoke about it in his podcast about being in the moment. Uh, you know, yesterday was yesterday, tomorrow is tomorrow. I think being in the moment is hard, but it's also extremely beneficial and it's the only thing you control. Um, so I would say be in the moment. Um, if you can indulge yourself, uh, have fun. I think it's important to have fun. It's, you know, it's, it's tough out there. Uh, make time for yourself. That's very important. And lastly, be honest. Uh, you'd be surprised how easy it is and how beneficial it is, but often of how, how hard it is. But I think being in the moment is probably the biggest thing, which uh, definitely in the last two years has uh, given me lots of peace and satisfaction. Very, very enlightening. Great answer. And the first, the first of our guests over in nearly three years that's come up with that one as a as a guide for those listening. And, and I think particularly relevant, especially in the in the current climate. Uh, tough but great opportunities would be the way I'd summarize all of that. Uh, Unmish, it's been an absolute delight speaking to you today. Thank you for finding the time. Really, really excited about the possibility of meeting you in person. We'll have that beer and and watch some cricket together. Uh, continue to do all the great things you're doing. 
thank you again for finding the time. And, you know, maybe we'll find some opportunities to get you back on and we'll do a part two because that would be a lot of fun. Sandro, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. I hope it's been useful for our listeners uh, and for you. Uh, and I look forward to hearing from them and from you. Love to have a part two. Uh, and as regards, you know, uh, beers and food, um, the Singapore Cricket Club is known as the unofficial office of the Picture World Partners Company. Uh, so I look forward to welcoming you there. And we'll get a few few known faces around and make an evening out of it. But thank you. I look, for, I look forward to the next board meeting then at, uh, at the Cricket Club. Uh, <laughs> Unmish, been an absolute delight. And thank you to all of you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Uh, wasn't Umish absolutely terrific? Um, such a, a lovely, lovely man, but with, with so many great things to say as well. And of course, that's what we're looking for in our guests every week on the Sandro Forte podcast. And remember, if you've got any questions for Unmish or indeed for ourselves, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. Please remember to leave an iTunes review because if you do, A, you might win a prize because we get lots of those donated by our guests, but also it just helps us to understand what kind of guests you'd like in the future. And do connect with me. We don't want Unmish to be the only person that you're connecting with. It's at Sandro14 Twitter and the real Sandro14 Instagram and Facebook. And I'm on LinkedIn too, just like Unmish is. So thank you again to Unmish, a terrific guest, to all of you for listening. And until this time next week, and another guest, here we are nearly three years into the Sandro Forte podcast. Who'd have thought it? Uh, But it's people like Unmish that keep you all listening. So thank you to him. Thank you to you. And we'll see you this time next week.